Welcome to the inaugural episode of my new Resident Evil podcast, The Itchy Tasty Podcast. I am Alex Aniel, also known as CBX Freak. It's a great day here. I am actually in Frankfurt, Germany, visiting a really good friend of mine. You might all know him from his amazing and amazingly informative uh, Digital Foundry DF Retro videos, John Linneman. Hey Alex, how's it going? Good! It's the first episode, so I'm actually a bit nervous. Well, don't worry. Once we get into it, I think everything will flow beautifully. So, but I think it's a special time to be talking about Resident Evil, mainly because we just came from Gamescom, right. which is uh, quite a large convention happening in Cologne, Germany. And there they actually featured uh, a new updated build of Resident Evil 2, the new remake. So and I think we both had a chance to check it out, though under slightly different circumstances. Right, I think uh, you got to check out the new build uh, at the NVIDIA show, right? That's exactly right. They had an RTX powered demo showing off some of the new features they're integrating into that new GPU. But, uh, you know, it's shaping up to be something special. But I think today we're going to talk a little bit more retro, is that right? Yeah, we won't be talking about the remake too much today. I wanted you on the podcast for the first episode because I really want this podcast to focus on topics of interest to hardcore Resident Evil fans. Things that don't get discussed too often. Right, right. And I think given your expertise in a lot of the technical aspects of gaming and the analysis of that, what better way to start than having a segment about the various ports of Resident Evil games that have come out in the last two decades. That's right, and there have been a lot. <laughs> there have been quite a bit, yeah, and it's actually impossible to talk about every single one of them on just one podcast segment, but there are a few ports uh, among the lineup that really stick out you know, for technical reasons, especially um, a lot of the marketing involved in getting these ports out. And as many people might know, I recently finished up writing a book about the history of the Resident Evil series. That's right. There's a lot of colorful history about why some of these ports were made, how they were made, who made them. Although a lot of it will be in the book that comes out. Uh, hopefully sometime in spring of next year. Uh, I would like to maybe have you lead the discussion on a lot of the technical aspects of these ports. And I'll interject with a lot of what happened in the background based on uh, the research that I've done for my book. Okay, so I think bringing two minds together from different angles on this topic should be pretty interesting. So where do you want to start? So I guess just to summarize, uh, Resident Evil originally started on the PlayStation. Soon after it hit PC, Sega Saturn, and then eventually the Dreamcast, the N64, and then I think with the exception of the original Xbox and the PSP and the Game Boy Advance, it's hit pretty much every major gaming platform. The series has had a very strong identity on the PlayStation. So a lot of people associate Resident Evil with the PlayStation, which is a very fair thing to say. Um, that's where the series started. And even like if you saw the Resident Evil 2 unveiling demo at E3 2018, you'll have seen the little PlayStation oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that the rat ends up great. seeing. But it turns out that even before the first game was released, Capcom had grand ambitions to bring Resident Evil to as many platforms as possible. This is reminiscent 
or it it it, it carries on that legacy that they established with Street Fighter 2 in particular, where that hit every platform. So they always wanted to put Resident Evil on Sega Saturn, Nintendo 64, and PC as well. Mm -hmm. But unlike modern gaming, multi-platform game development wasn't really a thing back in the 90s. There were, there, there were no multi-platform engines, as, as you're well aware, and there, there was really no way a game could come out on two platforms simultaneously without pretty much two development lines being in place at the same time. And for a company like Capcom, that wasn't terribly common. So even, even the ports that happened, uh, even ports of games that came out before Resident Evil, like Ghosts and Goblins or Street Fighter, they had to have other companies reprogram that all from scratch. That's right. And the same was true with Resident Evil. But they did know that they wanted a Saturn version pretty early on. It wasn't possible to launch them both simultaneously, but at the time, uh, the Sega Saturn was actually the, most, the second most popular console in Japan. And I believe for a time it outsold the PlayStation there as well, uh, probably before Final Fantasy VII was announced. Yeah, so Sega Saturn was very popular in Japan, right. that's true. More so than Nintendo 64, in fact. It does make a lot of sense to have Resident Evil on there, and I think Capcom in general was a big supporter of Sega on the Saturn and then on the Dreamcast. So it makes perfect sense that the first game would show there. So the port on Saturn then, it's, it's an interesting conversion, I think. Yeah, it came out 16 months after, in July of 1997. From a technical perspective, how would you explain the Saturn port to listeners? Well, the first thing is, well, some of the backgrounds, the FMVs, like the way everything's compressed, it does have a different look. There's more visible color banding in it. The, the image isn't quite as smooth as the PlayStation version. And of course, with the characters, you know, the Saturn uses sort of like distorted rectangles, essentially, to render 3D. So they had to change the way they actually rendered the characters in the game. And I think there was a, there's some screenshots floating around in various forums showcasing high-res emulated versions of the Saturn game and the faces look all distorted and everything. And that's not actually accurate to the real thing. Oh, really? Like, they're not distorted in that way. But the models definitely take a hit and they're not as well shaded as on PlayStation. But it still runs fine. You know, it's a pre-rendered game in the sense that the backgrounds are all 2D art with there's like collision data that determines where the characters can go. And it's just the 3D character models. And on Saturn, they generally look pretty good. I do recall that uh, some of the effects, like the fire and smoke, maybe look worse due to the stipling. Because right. the Saturn couldn't, uh, with its uh, main video display processor, you couldn't really render uh, transparent surfaces or like so transparent polygons were out the window or or any polygons for that matter oh right? yeah exactly exactly so yeah it, that was really the main difference this was this was one of those ports that I feel got pretty close to matching the original PlayStation experience and I think you recently played through it actually yeah last year uh, I did play through the Saturn version for the first time in at least 15 years maybe and when I played it as a kid on a CRT like the average person would have done so I did perceive that the graphics looked worse on Saturn than it did on PlayStation the F the the cutscenes the the yeah, full exactly. motion video the FMV I want to say maybe their resolution was lower or the frame rate was lower. Well, uh, the PlayStation has like, it's like the motion JPEG or it, it has a very specific method for compressing video 
that was really effective for the time. Saturn games, while some developers found their own ways around this, they typically had stuff like duck true motion and other uh, very poor compression algorithms that produced not great results. And it's the same here. The video quality takes a hit. I mean, overall it looked worse and like personally, I'm not a big fan of the Saturn controller for playing Resident Evil because I feel like it's very important to have a, I guess, a, to, to know the distinction between the cancel button and the confirm button. And on the six button layout, I never thought that that was particularly good for that. Plus the D-pad is more well suited to like rolling motions, which is great for fighting games, but for, um, for Resident Evil, the PlayStation segmented D-pad almost seems to work better since right. the game is very precise. Absolutely. So, but I think overall, it, you know, having played it again recently, it's not that different from the PlayStation version. No, I agree. It's a, it's a reasonably good port. Yeah, and it was actually developed by Next Tech. Oh, okay. It was owned by Sega, but it wasn't quite. Right, it wasn't a Sega developer, but they worked with, exactly. And the reason why Capcom contracted the development of the port to them was because they had more experience with the Saturn hardware than Capcom did internally. Uh, Capcom it was a much smaller company at this time than we imagine today. Sure. So, and while they did have a lot of games on Saturn, most of Capcom's output, I think, was in the 2D realm. Right. So, I mean, they were focusing on games like Rockman X4, right. Mega Man 8, what, you know, th those types of games. And so Resident Evil was kind of a different beast. And since it was designed closely with the PlayStation originally, I can imagine, you know, the challenges faced there. So you want to get somebody experienced in programming 3D on the Saturn. Yeah, it was through Capcom's collaboration with Next Tech that actually eventually led to another Resident Evil game uh, that was made in the future. So not only did Capcom want RE1 on the Saturn. He actually also wanted Resident Evil 2, and that version had also been announced before the release of the PlayStation version. That's right. So, yeah, Resident Evil 2 was a multi-platform game from the very beginning, and even back when the game was still in its Resident Evil 1.5 uh, prototype stage before it was canceled and rebooted, mm -hmm. the, the Saturn version was pretty much public knowledge. Uh, the thing is, as most people should know, Resident Evil 2 is graphically much more advanced than the original. Yes and no. I mean, certainly it's more detailed overall, and they do seem to increase the number of zombies that can appear on screen at once, but I'm fairly confident that it could have been done on Sega Saturn, because there were more advanced games in that vein. Like, you look at something like Deep Fear, for instance, on Sega Saturn, and that still looks pretty good, I think, and it's a similar approach to graphics. I feel like, I mean, maybe you have some more insight into this, but I've always kind of had the impression that it was, that was the point where Sony really realized the importance of the franchise. I can absolutely understand why they wouldn't have been able to pull it off easily. I think it could have been done, but it wouldn't have been easy. So yeah, I mean, I, I do think that it's probably true that running the game on a Saturn would have been more challenging because the, it did step up the amount of detail on display. 
Uh, there were more models on screen in general, I believe. Like, you didn't usually encounter so many zombies in a large crowd. I mean, it's not like it's a crowd, but you know what I mean in Resident Evil 2. There's more scenes where there's more active entities moving around the screen that you have to deal with. They have more complex animations. Exactly. They're, they're more buffed up in terms of appearance. But at the same time, there's a number of Sega Saturn games that take the same approach, like uh, Deep Fear, which is a pretty late game on, on the system that looks pretty impressive, I think. And, you know, you've seen what some of the top-tier Sega developers were able to achieve. So I feel like if if there was really the, the desire to make it happen, it could have been done. It probably would have had some changes, but I think they could have gotten there for sure. Um, it wouldn't have been easy, though, I, I can imagine. So maybe that deterred them. But there's also... I also have to wonder if the, if there's any politics behind that with Sony. Because I feel like during that era, like you could see that Sony picked up on the fact that Resident Evil was becoming a huge franchise. And they were really into, you know, encouraging third parties to work specifically on their platform in a big way at the time. So I could see the the Sega Saturn's lack of success in America, Sony's perhaps pressure to keep it on PlayStation, the difficulty in developing for the Saturn, all of those elements coming together to essentially seal its fate. Right. And of course, Resident Evil 2 was a 1998 release in the end, right? Very early, yes. I mean, in late 98 is when the Sega Dreamcast released. Absolutely. So the Saturn was already kind of on the way out. So everything was against this port showing up on the Saturn. Yeah, I think everybody realized at some point in 1997 that marketability of Resident Evil 2 on Saturn wasn't very feasible. It wouldn't have made sense. It would have been an expensive port for diminishing returns. I think by this point in North America and Europe, aside from a few releases here and there, its shelf space was virtually gone by that point. Oh yeah, it was. that was, that was the time when I was buying a lot of Saturn games. So many of them were dirt cheap at that point. So, I mean, I'm getting, I was getting, like, I got, like, Albert Odyssey on the Saturn, the working designs version. I got it for, like, $5. Games like that where, you're, you know, I didn't get a Panzer Dragoon Saga at the time, unfortunately. Oh, that's <laughs> too bad. I really missed out on that. But still, it was, it was not a great time for the Saturn in terms of living, but it was great for those that were collecting Saturn games. Yeah. But, of course, so Resident Evil 2 was very impressive on PlayStation. And of course, people know we're, we're going to talk about the Nintendo 64 version. Yeah, but before we get to that, there was one other port. Game.com. Tiger Gamecom. Now, yeah. I, I'm not sure I'd use the term port to refer to this. Technically, that would be the first remake of that game ever. If you take a very liberal definition of the word remake. It's the first remake of a Resident Evil game, period, if you think about it. If remake is defined as taking the original story <laughs> and then making it fit into a new graphical engine for exactly. a new platform than Resident Evil. You might call it a demake these days. Yeah. But yes, that version of the game, I mean, the Gamecom is a wretched piece of hardware. I, I owned one as a kid, like years after it came out. It was so cheap, but like I, I had a hard time controlling the thing, so I thought it was defective. It is defective as far yeah. as I'm concerned. The screen doesn't move. Years later, I would find out it's just a severe ghosting issue. Exactly. The, the, the screen is one of, it's significantly worse than the original Game Boy in terms of quality. And the system itself isn't capable at all. It's very slow. So the version of Resident Evil 2 on there is barely a Resident Evil game. 
but I still. <laughs> I believe that one was developed by Tiger Electronics, but then I, I haven't been able to find anybody remotely associated with that project. Oh, I'm not surprised at all. It wasn't, in, it wasn't developed at Capcom internally, and nobody around today seems to remember anything about I that. Genuinely, the, the Gamecom is confusing because they had, you know, games like that. They had Duke Nukem 3D, they had 3D. Sonic and Knuckles, they had Castlevania Symphony of the Night in development, but it was cancelled. I mean, all these big names were showing up on this awful, awful machine. So I can only imagine it was just Tiger ponying up licensing money and then developing these things in-house for their system. Because yeah. why else would you want to release for that thing? Right. It's awful. Right. But thankfully, that was far from the only port of Resident Evil 2. But yeah, it, it's, it's ironic because going back to the Saturn port for a minute, yeah. uh, you're absolutely right that they probably could have gotten RE2 running on that. I mean, it probably would have looked similar to the first game. Sure. But I think Capcom's ambitions for RE2 made it very difficult for them to entertain the idea of downgrading it significantly because they wanted Resident Evil 2 to be like, Street Fighter 2 was to the first game, or Mega Man 2 was to the first game, where these sequels really stepped up the bar. Um, and for Shinji Mikami, who was the producer, pretty much the producer of the series at this point, mm -hmm. and Yoshiki Okamoto, who was the executive producer, they thought that rather than spend a lot of time and money downgrading Resident Evil 2 and making it look worse and not having it sell very much, they thought developing a new game for the upcoming Dreamcast would have been a much wiser choice. So that's how Resident Evil Code Veronica got started and they ended up sending that project uh, over to the same development team at Next Tech that did yep. the Saturn port. So even from the very beginning, Resident Evil's had an interesting presence on Sega hardware and a lot of it was thanks to Sega's support. Um, of course, you know, history would play out very differently. In terms of other challenging ports, the other console of the generation, the N64, ended up getting a very remarkable and miraculous port of Resident Evil 2. Would you like to talk about it a bit? Yes, indeed. So this one was primarily created by Angel Studios. They had a really nice international team there, and everything I've read suggested that this, as you'd expect, was a monumental challenge. And the main reason for that is pretty simple. It's filled with uh, high quality for the time, pre-rendered assets. So all the backgrounds are essentially still images. You have full motion video. You have the soundtrack. All of these elements come together to make a game that was pretty heavy in terms of storage requirements. Now it's often cited as, you know, it, the game shipped on two CDs but obviously a lot of that data is duplicated because it's just for the two character system. But still, you, you can estimate that the overall file size would exceed one disc if you put everything together. Probably. And they needed to fit everything. So, you know, a CD, I guess, is about 700 megabytes. The PlayStation CDs are, I think, around there. And on Nintendo 64, they needed to take two of those and fit them into 64 megabytes. So 64 megabytes. Less than a tenth. Yes. So as I understand it, like the first thing you see, first of all, full motion video on N64 was extremely rare. So they, it seems like they developed some sort of compression method uh, as well as downgrading. So the resolution seems to have been reduced. Full motion video sequences were 30 frames per second on PlayStation and they're 15 frames per second 
which isn't that big of a deal back then. There was plenty yeah. of game FMV that ran at lower frame rates, so it didn't look that bad. I mean, they're, they're visually mostly intact. Um, right. Obviously, there's a lot of distortion, and on the audio side, there's some... Sometimes the the voices will be out of sync with the video, but considering what you're looking at right. and the means in which they made it happen is pretty amazing. So they employed a lot of compression techniques. Exactly. And then the next interesting bit is for the audio. So obviously voice compression was challenging and the voices are noticeably more compressed compared to the PlayStation, but they sound adequate. But the soundtrack is where they employed the aid of Factor 5 and Chris Hulsbeck, the legendary Chris Hulsbeck. They, so Factor 5 had built an entire music sound driver and system for developing sound on the N64. And initially, from what I understand, the Angel Studio guys, they had some sort of thing in place where you could... So first, I guess I should explain how the music works. On the PlayStation, it's sample-based music. It's not pre-recorded audio, so it's not digital audio that's played back. It's actually... Essentially, they define different instrument samples, and the music is programmed and played back using the PlayStation sound chip. So N64 can use samples as well. It doesn't have a sound chip. It has to run through the CPU, but they can still do that. So the idea was that they would compress down the samples and find ways to cut corners to essentially recreate the original sound using an N64 sound driver. But their original system made it very difficult to actually test this. So you would essentially make a test song and then you'd have to do the equivalent of compile it, I suppose. And it could take like 10 minutes before you could hear the results during development. Right. So when they're trying to fine tune the sound that you can imagine that would be very frustrating. So factor five system allowed them to essentially preview the stuff in real time. So they could really d dig in there, uh, figure out the, the sound compression and get that sound down and immediately preview the results just to figure out exactly the best way to do it. And I think Chris helped a lot in pulling this off. And the end result, I think, is really impressive. We actually just did an A-B comparison between the two. Right, yeah. And it sounds remarkably similar. Yeah, it's not terribly different. The arrangements are identical. It could come down to what kind of speakers or cables you're using. But for the most part, the N64 version is... It's close. The reverb is a little different. Uh, yeah. Some of the samples don't sound quite as crisp and clean but it's close, it's absolutely good enough. So that, that was really impressive. Now, the weird thing then comes from the actual rendering of the 3D. The graphics, yeah. So we played it with an expansion pack and I think it's similar without it, but essentially the N64 version, while the backgrounds themselves tend to be more compressed and they show more compression artifacts, they were able to use some higher resolution background assets, I believe, slightly above the 320 by 240 of the PlayStation version. And for those scenes, the game switches to a high-resolution uh, interlaced mode. And you can see it happen in real time. Like, you can literally walk between different scenes, and it'll toggle between 240p and 480i on what's happening on screen. And this allows them to show a little more detail in certain scenes, but it is a little jarring to see the game switch between, you know, the sharp, rich scan lines of 240p to the more flickery 480i and then back again. That's you as an expert who can perceive the difference speaking. Because I personally could not. If you hadn't told me they, that the game was doing that. Oh yeah, no, that's fair. I would have noticed, yeah. I, 
I think the problem with it becomes if you're trying to use it on a modern device. Like a lot of people play retro games using like an OSSC or a oh, FrameMeister right, right. to play it on a modern TV. Those devices, especially the FrameMeister, don't handle resolution transitions smoothly. There's a delay mm. where the screen essentially blacks out and then it returns. So, so if you're playing the game on there, every time you switch scenes, you lose the signal for for like a few seconds or just like on, on OSSC, it's just a second or two. But it's still enough where in that game, the screen change, you can get killed. Right. You right. change screens, the screen is black, and then a zombie gets you by the time it comes back. What benefit did the game receive by having this implemented? I, like I said, I think it's due to the slightly higher resolution background assets. Like, they may be more compressed, and we saw that they were in comparison to PlayStation. It doesn't look quite as clean, but they were slightly higher resolution. And also the character models then are rendered... Yeah. at a slightly higher resolution with the expansion pack. Yeah, they look better to my eyes. They did. They look really good. I mean, you get perspective correct texture mapping. None of the Z fighting issues that you get on right. PlayStation. Like, when you go into the shop at the beginning and he's holding up the shotgun, his fingers yeah, are like clipping through. and flashing through the shotgun model on PlayStation, whereas right. on N64 it they appears more that. solid in comparison. There are a few things that were left out particularly stuff that was introduced in later versions. Yeah, I think they were right up to the limit in terms of what they could do. And a 64 megabyte cart, mm. I'm not, there may be a small number of other N64 games at that size. I can't remember off the top of my head, but that would have been extremely expensive and uncommon. Right. So they really shelled out to put this game on a huge cart for the N64. I think when it came out in October 1999, yeah. um, I think it was a $70 game. At least, yeah, it absolutely makes sense. Yeah, it was $70 in the US. I think the original PS1 version came out for 50. Was that what PS1 games retailed for? Or was it 49? 40 or 50? 40, 40 or 50, right. Somewhere in that range. Yeah, so you know, two, almost two years after the original version came out, we have a much more expensive version, but it was, for the original game content complete, we had the four scenarios, Claire A, Claire B, Leon A, Leon B, uh, Hunk and Tofu's minigames. Yep. They, they didn't include Extreme Battle Mode, which was introduced into Resident Evil 2 DualShock version uh, shortly after the original release. And they had none of the extras from the PC version or the Dreamcast version that came out actually a, about maybe a few weeks after the N64 version came out. Um, but yeah, I think Resident Evil 2 on N64, not just in Resident Evil history, but just in gaming history in general, is one of the most ambitious collaborative efforts. It's a landmark achievement for the time, so my hats are off to those guys. They certainly did a better job than some of Capcom's other ports, like uh, mm. they ported Mega Man Legends to the N64, and it's oh, a right. pretty lousy port. That's the same game as Mega Man 64, right? Correct. Mega Man 64 exactly is Mega Man Legends. Oh, right. So, same game, but with a lot of problems. Capcom really wanted not only the PlayStation, but the Nintendo 64 to have a sizable audience of Resident Evil fans. So, Resident Evil 2 on N64 was actually supposed to be the precursor to the now infamous Resident Evil Zero. That's right, which we... We saw actual screenshots of the N64 version prior to release. Yeah, they they announced it, and Resident Evil Zero was, as the name indicates, in, intended to be a prequel to the first game. And there was a reason why Capcom did this. Um, at the time, the 
Capcom wanted to keep the numbered Resident Evil games on the PlayStation platform because that was the main audience. But in grabbing people for, on other consoles, they wanted games that either weren't numbered, right. Resident Evil Code Veronica for the Dreamcast, or prequels for Nintendo fans. So you, if you were a Nintendo fan who had never played Resident Evil, you can technically jump into Zero and not be totally lost. Yeah, so, exactly. So 2 was in many ways a test case for the, fe the, for the feasibility of Resident Evil on N64. The test was passed, thankfully, and Zero would have incorporated a lot of those, uh, a lot of the technology used in 2. But for different reasons, uh, that version was canceled, even though it did, I think they made it maybe a fourth of the way through development. Mm -hmm. Uh, but the, even for a game like Zero, the N64 cartridge at its largest would have been far too restrictive. The market was moving on. Uh, the Dolphin, which was later renamed to the GameCube, was mm -hmm. also on the horizon. So Resident Evil, 2, or Resident Evil Zero rather, ended up getting canceled for N64 and getting moved over to the GameCube. And That's it would right. eventually hit in November of 2002. So... RE2 stands as the sole Resident Evil game for the N64. That's right. Yeah. Uh, in December 1999, a Dreamcast port came out. That's right. Which was based on the PC version. Mm -hmm. Actually, I would say it was pretty identical. Yeah, the, it was the same basic idea. Right. Now, the issue... It's a weird one. With these versions, they're good. It's a good conversion, both the PC and the Dreamcast version. But the issue I've always had is that the assets, the background assets, were made for 320 by 240 to be displayed on a CRT television. So when you blow that up on like a high-res monitor or over VGA on the Dreamcast, and you render the characters at like double the resolution, uh, yeah. I guess it would be 4x the pixels. So 640 by 480 instead of 320 by 240. There's this mismatch. You have these super sharp character models transposed against pixelated backgrounds. Yeah. And it winds up looking a little bit weird to me. Right, right. But it's still effectively Resident Evil 2. You got all the FMV in there, of course. You know, it sounds great. They're good versions of those games. Yeah, I would say, personally speaking, the Dreamcast controller aside, Resident Evil yeah. 2 uh, on Dreamcast is an amazing port. Uh, I mean, for it came out in the in North America at the end of 2000. I think in Europe a bit earlier, but the whole the whole draw for that port uh, was the Code Veronica demo. Yes, that's right. Yeah, and that demo was pretty close to the original game. But Code Veronica was originally intended to come out at the end of 1999, but uh, Capcom ended up having to delay that version. Like, actually, it came out a week after Gun Survivor did. Oh wow. <laughs> Yeah, it was a strange time. Like in the span of one week, Japan got RE2 on N64, Gun Survivor, and Code Veronica. There's plenty of Resident Evil love to go around, but... <laughs> That's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With regards to Resident Evil 2, one more port came out in 2003 for the GameCube, which, you know, by that point, the game was five years old, and unlike the N64, the GameCube can handle RE2 in its sleep. Um, the most notable aspects of that port was that you can now skip cutscenes. Mm -hmm. um, it came on one GameCube disc, so you can select either scenario uh, from the selection screen. 
Uh, I recently played it on a Wii U <laughs> using yeah. we're using a GameCube. Um, it's not technically an emulator because it's running natively, but uh, using homebrew in Wii mode. And I did play it on a 4K TV, so it wasn't the original way, the original intention of the developer, but it actually looked great. That's cool. Like I, I nowadays, you know, I only have so much in my small apartment in Tokyo, so I played RE2 on a PS TV. PS Vita TV and on a Wii U emulating a yeah, GameCube sure. and the GameCube one held up a lot better. Yeah, I can imagine. Though I will, one one weird little thing I forgot to mention is I think the PlayStation version is the only version that for whatever reason those door animations between rooms play back at 60 frames per second. Hmm. And I think we know N64 version does not, does not and I'm I feel like the Dreamcast and GameCube versions are 30 frames per second as well. Huh, I need to double check that, but that was always something about those PS1 games is they specifically had high frame rate door opening animations, right. which that sounds unbelievably silly to even yeah. mention that, but it's just one of those little things. <laughs> yeah, the Dreamcast port was based on the PC port, Yeah. so any of the upgrades incorporated into the PC, which were pretty notable, um, they had like galleries of the artwork and the character models, would have transitioned over to that one, but the GameCube one in some senses was a regression because that went back to the PlayStation DualShock version. Oh yeah. So none of the upgrades on Dreamcast transitioned over to GameCube. So even to this day, if you think about the, was it four major versions? Mm -hmm. Five. Five, PC, Dreamcast, N64, GameCube, PS1. Well, there's two PS1 versions actually, the DualShock one and the original, but there is no definitive version of RE2. Well, maybe the GameCom version. No, no, no. <laughs> but yeah, I guess with the remake coming out in January, it's kind of a moot point to even think about. Well, you know, it's always nice to preserve the originals and since it's such a different game. Mm. Uh, you know, it's, it's still good to go back to. And it would have been cool if there was some way to, like, maybe a special version of the remake that includes the original Resident Evil 2 just, just for, like, history's sake. That would be cool. I mean... This is like a bonus, like... You know, Capcom's done Mega Man and Street Fighter collections in recent years, and those right. turned out great because they, did. they put a lot of heart into curating them. Uh, and I would not mind seeing a Resident Evil collection in a similar vein where we get maybe one, two, three, Code Veronica uh, on like one disc, and we have like artwork. Um, if they want to be gutsy, they can include all the different versions, but I think that's quite impractical. I can't see them yeah, porting, exactly. porting a Saturn game or trying to deal with what the N64 version's challenges were just for the sake of a collection. Right, uh, exactly. I mean, I think if anything, they should come to Steam because, you know, there are PC versions of all of them and if uh, they could just rejig them with a little yeah, bit of work. Yeah, maybe just GOG. Yeah, like in 2006, in Japan only, they released RE2 and RE3 on PC. I think they were generally the same as the previous PC releases, but they were Windows XP compliant. Right. And I think they had better uh, FMV. I think the resolution was higher. That than... would make sense. But, so, uh, mentioning Resident Evil 3 then. Yeah. That came out fairly late on the PlayStation. And it yeah. was... Um... 1999. September 1999. That's right. So the same month yeah. as the Dreamcast launch in North America. Well, it, it came out in September in Japan, but right. in November in the States. That's right. So I think it came out like two weeks before RE2 on N64 in, okay. in the U.S. But 
RE3, you know, having come out so late in the generation and having started out as a non-numbered entry, um, there, there aren't as many variations of this game as there are of its two predecessors. Or Certainly. It's just the PlayStation version, um, which is standard, and then they ported that over to Dreamcast about a year later, as well as PC. So Dreamcast and PC added things like higher resolution backgrounds, which I think look great. Uh, they're, they're clearly a step above RE, above RE2. And... Um, GameCube. Yeah, GameCube as well. That came out on the same day as Resident Evil 2. Um, although the GameCube port was based on the PlayStation port, so none of the upgrades on the PC or Dreamcast versions were incorporated in. Most notably, like, selecting costumes from the beginning of the game. Right, right, right. Uh, and I think on the Dreamcast versions, if you wanted to unlock the character epilogues, you could do so on easy mode on Dreamcast, but I don't think that it doesn't work on the PlayStation or right, GameCube right, right. versions. And if, correct me if I'm wrong, but Resident Evil 3 was the first game in the series to have steps that you could walk up and down freely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that's right. And then Code Veronica came out after the game. Right. And it still had the classic press the button to right. ascend or descend the steps. Yeah, this is because they were developed by different teams. Exactly. And, the next tech did uh, right. the Dreamcast Code, Code Veronica. Veronica. And, you know, obviously Capcom was internally working on uh, Resident Evil 3, though I feel like at the time, my feeling was that Resident Evil Code Veronica felt more like a proper Resident Evil 3 mm. than Resident Evil 3 Nemesis did. Yeah, in terms of storyline, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it just felt like the next step as well. Right. Like, here's this big next step to a next generation. In, well, internally at Capcom, that was the that was the expectation is that Code Veronica would have been the next major game for them. Mm -hmm. uh, I think um, even within Capcom, maybe Dino Crisis had a bit more attention to it than RE3. Like Resident Evil 3 was just a means to placate PlayStation owners because of the delay of a PS2 exclusive Resident Evil that Hideki Kamiya was directing. That game eventually became Double May Cry. So when that was delayed, the PlayStation 2 was delayed into 2000. Um, Capcom said, well, you know, we have this Resident Evil Nemesis or Resident Evil Biohazard Last Escape. Um, the, the director had in, originally intended for that to be a game you could complete in one playthrough, right? Very minimal story elements. It originally wasn't going to have any of the main characters in it, um, but they ended up you know, relatively late in development, maybe half a year before it came out, they ended up rejigging everything so it, it would feel more like a mainline entry. But yeah, if you compare RE3 to RE1 and RE2, there's only one scenario. It's quite short. Um, nothing truly significant happens in the story except for the ending. Right. Right. But, you know, it, it's quite an iconic game in, in and of itself. But in terms of the, the ports that are out there, it's probably one of the less interesting games in the series to look at. Oh, absolutely. There's not that much to discuss there. It's, right. it's very basic. There's no director's cut or director's cut equivalent. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, Code Veronica, on the other hand, that came out on the Dreamcast. Uh, it sold okay for a Dreamcast game, but it clearly undershot Capcom's expectations. But the PS2 port was always a fallback. Uh, it was always something that they had thought about. And even though Sega had developed the game, it wasn't technically like an exclusive. Right, it didn't belong to Sega. It Not was at a all. Capcom title. 
Um, luckily for Capcom, things became easier because Sega dropped out of the hardware race. Yes. Uh, I think in early 2001. It was early 2001. Yeah, so Code Veronica X came out on PS2 uh, with the extra cutscenes. It did so on Dreamcast as well. Uh, do you have any comments on the PS2 port? Yeah, so the PlayStation 2 port was surprisingly good. Now, the PlayStation 2 hardware is, in my opinion, overall more capable than Dreamcast. But the Dreamcast has a few advantages, particularly in its use of, like, say, VQ texture compression, which doesn't necessarily mean... So, PS2 games typically use textures that are devoid of compression artifacts. And on Dreamcast, you can see them clearly, but because they were compressed, you could do higher resolution textures. So a lot of early ports from Dreamcast to PlayStation 2 didn't necessarily turn out great. Sure. There was often a reduction in quality in certain areas, and developers often used uh, low-resolution field rendering, which would produce a lot of aliasing and flicker, so the, hence the Jaggies were born. Right. But Resident Evil Code Veronica on PlayStation 2 seems to run in the full frame buffer mode, uh, which is it seems to be a, nearly the same or around the same resolution as the Dreamcast game, maybe 640 by 448 possibly 512 by 448 but either way it, the image quality is great and the main thing that they added to it is uh, a strange accumulation blur which was very common during the early days of PlayStation 2 software was this like a matrix thing or well it's a sort of like you use it's like you're capturing you're using previous images to generate uh, this blur effect but it kind of creates these like trails like Devil May Cry used it as well a lot of early Capcom games used it it looks okay at 60 frames per second, but this was a 30 FPS game. So it kind of makes the whole game appear slightly murky in motion, just right. because every bit of motion has this blur applied to it. Which isn't present on the Dreamcast version. No. Yeah. So technically that's a more advanced feature, but I'm not sure it was artistically the best choice. But aside from that, we were just comparing them there. Uh, it looks really good accurate otherwise right textures didn't really take much of a hit i'd say and uh really sharp image quality it doesn't support 480p natively but i suspect you could force that using some of the homebrew options out there whereas on dreamcast obviously if you have a vga box then 480p is naturally there uh it's less dithered than the dreamcast version it seems to run at maybe 24-bit color i need to double check that to be sure but Gradients are smoother. There's less visible dithering than on Dreamcast. So it's a great port. It's a really nice way to play the game. Um, but obviously, you know, either one is good. The only reason I would say to go with PlayStation 2 over Dreamcast in this case, it really comes down to the controller. Oh, the PlayStation right. 2 yeah. controller it's, it's is much better, better for, for uh, Resident Evil yeah, than the Dreamcast pad. You lose that handy VMU health indicator. Health That's and true. Ammo indicator. That was I think. nice. But yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I was okay with the Dreamcast controller way back in the day. But you know, I now if I play any of the Resident Evil games on that platform, what happens is I end up running into walls. Oh yeah. <laughs> like a noob because I just can't maneuver with that controller very well. I know what you mean. I think the PS2 version also had higher resolution uh, CG, uh, FMV. That's very possible because the right. PlayStation 2 has hardware MPEG-2 right. playback where Dreamcast used like the CRI soft deck codec yeah. usually, so things like that. So the video quality wasn't quite the same. Mm. 
But yeah, overall, it's a comparable port. And honestly, Code Veronica was an impressive game at the time. When it released on Dreamcast, it was a huge step up from the previous games, since it was the first one to feature fully three-dimensional backgrounds. So not only were the character models much more detailed and expressive, and the cutscenes were excellent looking, but the world around you was 3D, which meant that the camera was no longer static. There were still fixed angles, but the camera would move through the environment with the player, which helped really build the immersion factor, I think. Yeah, there's a lot of organicness to Code Veronica, even if it doesn't necessarily look very detailed. um, A lot of people today argue that the pre-rendered games actually look better because they're more detailed and Code Veronica is a little bland. But I feel like there's an organic element to the game, and especially if you're using the lighter. Yeah. Or like even if you're shooting and you shoot toward a wall, I feel like the bullets bounce off. Yeah, stuff like that. And you mentioned the lighter, and again, that's a nice thing because that version can have dynamic lights. Yeah. Which wasn't really feasible in the pre-rendered games. Right. And they kind of push that at you. When you first start the game, the first thing you do is equip the lighter. Right. And you're in first-person mode, so you immediately have that in, that impression that, oh, there's dynamic lights now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's something that you could never have hoped to achieve on the PlayStation. No, I mean, you can do dynamic lighting on PlayStation, but with pre-rendered backgrounds, it's hard to use it in yeah. an effective manner. Right. But, of course, that was not the only uh, port of Code Veronica. There was one on GameCube as well that mm-hmm. came out in 2003, and... I've, I've played that one a lot as well. I just I feel like it's the Dreamcast game version, yeah, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, yeah for, for all of these ports, they didn't obviously... Was, well, I really need to do a side-by-side comparison, but it doesn't seem they updated any any of the assets. So you get the same character models, same textures, everything. Oh, not at all, yeah. It's the same. Capcom, that was Capcom's approach. They weren't going to remake RE2, 3, or Code Veronica right, right, on right. GameCube the way they did with the first game. I mean, they were... Literally unchanged ports. Yes. Um, my minor things like skipping cutscenes in RE2 aside, um, but the, 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 they they didn't want to change anything because they didn't want people to buy those games again. So, I think the GameCube version, you know, like on Dreamcast, it's it's a two disc game. But other than that, I can't really perceive any major differences. They added those Type C controls uh, from That's the right. remake, uh, where you control with the right the C stick, right? I think it was um, you hold down the R button. Right, to run right. forward, which was I, I did enjoy using that mm. in remake, so that's right. not a bad addition. That was added to all the GameCube ports, um, but yeah, I guess Code Veronica would wouldn't really get another notable release until the HD versions Correct. for PlayStation Three and Xbox Three Sixty in September two thousand eleven. And this, I think, is one of the more ambitious ports, perhaps the most ambitious we've talked about thus far. Mm. They retooled the games to run in their MT framework engine, which is the same basic technology that they've been using for their games at that point. So Resident Evil 5 used it, Devil May Cry 4, Lost Planet, Dead Rising, all of them use this. And So before you go on, what, what does retooling it for MT framework actually mean for someone who might not know? Okay, so MT framework is a series of tools and it's an engine that basically powers the graphics. They 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 design the game using this tool set. So what it seems that they've done here is take all the original assets, like the character models, the backgrounds, the music, animation, animation, like all the game data, and they've essentially reprogrammed the game and recreated it using all the original art and materials 
to essentially build a new version of the game. So it's less a it's less of a traditional port, and it seems to be more like they recreated the game using new technology. They rebuilt it, but it's not technically a remake. Exactly, it's not really a remake, but it's if the art were replaced, then it would absolutely be a remake. But it's it's like a halfway halfway to a remake. Right, I'd say. Right, and I guess that was one of the first times a game had been really rebuilt from the ground up since maybe R one on Saturn, right? Yeah, and this I'd say is even even greater in a way in terms of what they did. The main benefit being that this has a lot of real time per pixel lights and shadow casting. Right. So right away you see holding your lighter, or when there's fire in a scene, all of those lights cast real shadows now. Which is something that we had first seen, I think, in horror games back in Silent Hill 2. Right. On PlayStation 2, where your flashlight could cast real soft right. shadows. But obviously, you know, that was not really featured in a Resident Evil game. Right. I think was... Well, I guess Resident Evil 5 obviously came out first, but... 5, maybe parts of 4 as well? 4 doesn't have a lot in terms of dynamic shadows like this. Oh, okay. So the main thing here is that dynamic lights now cast shadows. Right. And you combine that with uh, in a film grain effect and a few other post-processing techniques and just more vibrant lighting overall. It has yeah. a much richer look to it. Even though it's all the same models and textures, it looks really nice, I think. Now in 720p. Yep, 720p, resolution, of course. It's widescreen, wide so the game actually feels different in general. Yep. Uh, well, not, does not completely feel different, but it doesn't feel the same as looking at the original. So exactly. it's, it's got this grainy Silent Hill-like look to it now, um, whereas the original is a lot cleaner and more sterile. Exactly, so exactly. A lot of people, a lot of fans actually don't really like the HD remaster uh, as a matter of personal preference. Sure. Like they, re they recognize that it's better technically, but I guess there are some people out there who are fond of the look of the original game, which I completely understand. Um, that version is actually, funny enough, on PS4, as a PS2 classic. Yes, that's right. <laughs> so you, you can have, I guess that would be 1080p, right? Um, I think they do actually render at a higher resolution. I don't think it's exactly 1080p, but it is a higher resolution. So the PS2 classic on PS4 would be a higher resolution than the HD remaster on PS3. The remaster on PS3 360. Yeah, there was a rumor out there a few weeks ago, as of summer, as of August 2018, that the 360 version would come to Xbox One backwards compatible. Um, it was a pretty reliable rumor. Um, other games on that rumor list did end up passing, coming to pass. Uh, and I think with RE2 Remake coming out, people who want to see a bit about what Claire's journey's been in Resident Evil might want to check that out. So I'm hoping that Capcom or Microsoft get on that at some point because yeah. I don't like having old systems hooked up, unlike you, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, Code Veronica, yeah, the most interesting port would have been the HD one. Yeah, and honestly, I think it's one of the most ambitious ports that they have done there. Yeah. And that so much changed under the hood. Yeah, RE4 came out around, on the same day, rather, as part of the same package. Yeah, yeah. But that one was not rebuilt into MT Framework. No, but that was an important port in that it was the first port since release that um, duplicated the look of the GameCube original. Right. Like you could argue the Wii version was the same, but since the hardware is essentially a, the GameCube with a bit of extra juice, sure. it's not really a port in the same way. Right. But there was that PC version previously, 
which was based on the PS2 version. Right. Which is, we'll talk about this in a moment. Yeah. <laughs> um, any other comments on Code Veronica? Um, I think that's, um, it's, it's still one of my favorite games in the series. I still think it looks great. Right. I would like to see an updated version. Uh, I would like to see the 2010 or 2011? 2011. 2011 remake re-released on modern consoles with a few tweaks to the controls like maybe add like another type of control method in there smooth out some of the gameplay like issues just tweak it tweak it a little bit yeah i don't think they i don't think they changed the game's logic at this point no but i would i could imagine them doing what they did with the other hd remasters and adding um i guess the N64 version called these first person controls right where yes it moves in the direction you're moving the stick Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that, I, I, I imagine they would do that, but the question is whether they will. And I feel like it should have happened already, but mm-hmm. it hasn't. Uh, Capcom recently ported a bunch of Resident Evil games to both uh, PS4 and Xbox One, RE4, 5, 6, Revelations, yes. and Code Veronica has not been a part of that movement since the 20th anniversary two years ago. That's right. So I guess not, but... We can hope, I guess. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Otherwise, we'll probably just eventually remake it <laughs> in maybe five or ten years. Exactly, exactly. Uh, RE4, on the other hand, had a fairly had fairly a, a fairly numerous amount of ports. Uh, yes. The GameCube version was one of the best-looking GameCube games. Uh, really pushed the hardware, had a good look to it, but that get was also supposed to be an exclusive and then they announced the PS2 version which is kind of which was kind of a controversy at the time because mm-hmm. they had promoted Shinji Mikami in particular had promoted Resident Evil 4 on GameCube as a groundbreaking exclusive title but the PS2 version came out less than a year later in I believe October 2020 2005 so what are your thoughts on the PS2 port so that is an interesting port. This is one of those ports where I feel like a lot was lost visually compared to the original, more than anyone that we've discussed about discussed thus far. Absolutely. Um, but it's still seeing it again today. I do feel like it still holds up reasonably well. Like it still feels like Resident Evil Four, but there's a significant cutback in several key areas. So obviously, the first thing you'll notice, the general lighting quality is reduced. The game has a flat appearance compared to the original GameCube version. And the general coloring and shading of everything is a little off. It appears almost like kind of a generic brown. Yeah. It, more often, like a little muddy. Right. And then um, they also reduced the polygon counts of everything. Pretty uh, much everything. Leon's jacket. Le- Leon is reduced. The, the All of the uh, uh, your, the enemies. The like, foliage. Yeah, the enemies' faces. Like I, We played it this yep. morning, right? And I saw the enemies' faces for the first time. I mean, I, I haven't really played the PS2 version since the Wii one came out. Sure. Because what's the point, right? Exactly. And then, when I looked at those faces, I wanted to laugh because it looked like every Ganado's face has been bashed in. Yes. Like someone punched him in the face. Yeah, they previously had like a modeled nose and right. really a nice detailed face, but now it's like more of <laughs> now very they're... basic geometry with a flat texture. <laughs> flat, to it. and I'm like, wow. It's very poor. Yeah. Um, I assume it has to do with the sheer number of Ganado that can appear on screen. Right, right. certain portions of the game. Right. Or maybe, you know, 
just a little bit too much. I mean, the PS2 can push a lot of mm. triangles, but right. with some of the multi-pass effects they may have had to do in there, mm. uh, perhaps it was just an issue. Like, I've always kind of thought that in the right hands, the port of Resident Evil 4 could have been closer to the GameCube version. Maybe. I think they could have gotten there if with a little more effort and time and budget. Yeah, I think they really wanted to make that holiday 2005 yeah. uh, release release uh, period. So another big thing, obviously, are the cutscenes. Mm. So on GameCube, all of the game's cutscenes are rendered in real time. Yeah. And at the time, they looked tremendously impressive. But on PlayStation 2, they opted instead to pre-render them all out. So it's mm. still based on in-game assets, but they're videos now. Yeah, they, those, those videos... Um, or the only way we can watch cutscenes in separate ways. Exactly. Which was Ada Wong's exclusive scenario in the PS2 mm -hmm. version originally. And they look pretty bad. Yeah, so as we saw um, on a CRT monitor, mm. they actually look alright. Yeah, they don't look too bad. But when you blow them up in a modern context on a high-res display, they're pretty awful. Yeah. And it really sticks out like a sore thumb. Mm. But, so, the issue I have there is stuff like the Krauser fight. Mm -hmm. is interfered with a little bit mm -hmm. because being a real-time sequence i guess uh on gamecube and then moving over to more pre-rendered oh, yeah. videos like it kind of ruins the the moment a little the, bit the immersiveness yeah because right? re4 was one of the first games where you're watching a scene but it's still very much part of the gameplay exactly and yeah i feel like a lot of that immersiveness is lost in the ps2 port but I mean, given that it came out less than a year after the original, um, and most of the graphics held up, is pretty remarkable. Because even like sure. in uh, all the research that I did for my book, when the PS2 port was announced, pretty much everyone at Capcom was surprised because there was an assumption that there was no way the PS2 can handle the, could handle the game mm -hmm. like the GameCube can. But the team managed to make it happen. Luckily. They certainly did. Um, I mean, RE4 itself, I mean, it looks great, but there's nothing really ambitious behind the technology, right? So I mean, it's not like it would have been impossible. And there were other PS2 games that looked well, but, you know, given the different architectures. Uh, you know, I, I'd still say it was pretty ambitious for the time mm. on the GameCube, at least. Sure. In the sense that the environments were relatively large. Uh, there was a lot of interaction with them, mm. you know, like moving in and out of buildings. Right. You, know, you could climb on everything. There's a lot of bespoke animation for all of that. Mm. Uh, their enemy AI was fairly impressive with the way it could track the player around the level and navigate through all the obstacles, you know, climbing up ladders, going into buildings. You know, it was very aggressive mm. and interesting to play with. And all of that stuff eats up memory and CPU time. And yeah. I think when you take the package as a whole, it's a pretty technically demanding game. Yeah. Uh, tidbit that I think this podcast will make public for the first time. Oh. But Capcom originally had thought about making Resident Evil 4 on PS2 a two-disc title. Aha! Uh -huh. Which is kind of interesting to think about because the GameCube version was also two discs, but a much smaller game. And the reason goes back to the fact that the cutscenes were videos. Mm -hmm. So... We the other downgrade of the PS2 port is that the audio sound the sound effects in particular are more muffled. Exactly. They're obviously not as high quality, and you can tell when you're shooting things or when you when Leon's performing a melee attack, the sound effects don't sound nearly as satisfying yep. and full as the GameCube one. Well, 
originally that wasn't going to be an issue, but um, basically Capcom thought that it made more sense to release the game on one disc for marketing reasons. Um, two disc games are obviously very pricey. I mean, it wasn't unprecedented for two disc games to be out there. Like Capcom itself had done Devil May Cry 2. They also could have done a, a single DVD-9. Right. Double layer DVD, which some PlayStation 2 games did ship on. Like sure. Gran Turismo 4, for instance. Sure. I mean, even uh, Onimusha Dawn of Dreams, which came out in January 2006, yep. uh, came on two DVDs. So Capcom wasn't averse to the idea, but with Resident Evil 4 PS2 that came out, um, that came out, I think, in uh, October. Resident Evil 4 PS2 came out in October and it was actually a $40 game at release for the standard wow, version, that's right. which is, I think, relatively speaking, quite generous, yeah, um, given it wasn't, in, it wasn't technically an old game. At and that was point. 2005, October? Yeah. GameCube version was early 2005, Yeah. Uh, in North America at least? So yeah, if you're going to release a $40 game, it can't be two discs, right? If yeah, gonna, You wouldn't make a lot of money. And yeah, the only again, like you said, I mean, it's it's the cutscenes thing because they stored the cutscenes as video files instead of real time. That ate up so much disk space. Right. And going back to the videos, it, like the it, by having it on two DVDs, Capcom's original intention was to um, have all the cutscenes with all the costume variations. Oh wow! That was the the main. That would have been the thing that benefited the most sure. if they had done that. But it just wasn't like feasible from a marketing standpoint, unfortunately. Right, right. So wow, so the, uh, that is an interesting fact. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Do you know anything else about the development team that worked on PlayStation Two? It was internal, I believe. I don't okay. think it was outsourced. Was um, it related to the original dev team that handled it, or, or did they send it to a different internal team? I believe many of them worked on both versions okay but the producer was different so the producer of resident evil 4 on ps2 was uh, masachita kawata who would okay. end up producing almost every resident evil game uh from 4 on ps2 until 7 actually wow uh, he he skipped re6 but he did like the chronicles games he mm -hmm. did operation raccoon city Oof. re5 as well <laughs> yeah he's you know he's so that this was you know probably one of his first times having such a high responsibility on Resident Evil. Like he'd also done remake in RE3. Uh, oh, that's great. With different responsibilities. So I think because the PS2 port did really well for Capcom, it outsold the GameCube one right away. <laughs> it, it, it helped. Resident Evil 4 became a million seller in Japan for the first time since RE3 because the PS2 port did really well. So, you know, it elicited a lot of controversy. It made Mikami look like a terrible liar. Yep. It, it set in motion a lot of the things that would cause Mikami to eventually leave Capcom. Uh, yeah, that's right. I suppose that whole event helped right. form the foundations of what would become Platinum Games. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. First, RE4 would get... They, they would do the about face on RE4, and then Mikami would decide not to work on Resident Evil again. Mm -hmm. So he went to Clover. Yeah, that's right. He worked at Clover. Okami came out, yep. didn't sell well then they decided that rather than you know working for capcom on unoriginal ip they would go make their own company platinum games which is still around today yes so excellent 
It's really interesting how RE4 on PS2 sort of started or sort of set the motions for a lot of It was the catalyst for a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, Mikami is obviously right now at uh, Tango Gameworks running his own studio with Bethesda. So, yeah, there's a lot of historical significance with this port as well. Um, there was a PC version that came out. It was published by Ubisoft based on the PS2 port, but I hear it had a lot of bugs and yeah, it's an all around. In its default state, it's a mess. Like, lighting and everything is paired. It's so different. It basically looks flat-shaded almost at times. Or like it's not flat-shaded. It looks like it's missing the lighting pass entirely. It's oh, extremely wow. flat in terms of color. Right. And it just it looks absolutely atrocious. It's one of the worst-looking ports I've seen. There's been a lot of work done in the community over the years to sort of start from that rotten apple of a port and like transform it into something that looks much better. But there's always been limitations. Like cutscenes are still those awful pre-rendered videos. Mm. And just, you know, it was it was during the era when Capcom's PC ports were notoriously bad. Right. They did ports of, like, Devil May Cry 3 and a few others. On English at 3, I yeah, think, right? they were really bad at the time. Aww. That would obviously change in a big way when MT Framework became a thing, as those were extremely well-suited to the PC platform. So games like Lost Planet were excellent on PC. But prior to that... Mm, not not good. Sure. So, so, sure. But that's not the only... Uh, there was also the mobile phone version, which I think started out on more like more advanced flip phones originally. Oh, God. But then it would get like Android and iOS ports, yes, I think. So... And that's that thing. Oof. Oh, so yeah, in the last decade, um, flip phones were very dominant in Japan. Mm -hmm. I guess, I don't know if they're called feature phones in the West. Yeah, feature phones, sure. Um, but they were powerful enough to handle... Um, rudimentary 3D rudimentary primitive but fully 3D games and Capcom or somebody that they hired made Resident Evil 4 mo mobile edition mm -hmm. um, I mean it retains the general look of the console game but like with much fewer polygons way worse animation it was it, like if you would imagine RE4 running on like a 32-bit console maybe that's how it would look like maybe so yeah, yeah it's and, it's not the same game but it yeah it's an ugly ugly thing it's like they're all divided up into missions and basically given how limiting the controls are you can't have a very rich aiming experience you just Basically, shoot every zombie, not zombie, you shoot every Ganado, and then you clear the mission, pretty much. You might have right. to find a key here or there. Yeah, it's mostly um, just like, it's it's kind of what would eventually become like Resident Evil, like the Mercenaries 3D on 3DS. Like, yeah. It's that concept of being dropped into a big map, and, yeah. you know, which I guess Mercenaries was in uh, Resident mm. Evil 4 anyway, right? It was, So. Yeah. I feel like, you know, the mobile game was kind of based more on the Mercenaries concept. Right. So. Yeah, the, the mobile edition was eventually ported to smartphones. Yep. Um, I, I think Capcom has since pulled it from Good. the App Store and from the <laughs> Google Play Store. There was also an iPad version with higher mm -hmm. resolution visuals. Yep. Uh, all basically uncontrollable, and I guess there's a good reason why they pulled that. Yes. Um, they did make another game in that vein based on the first CG movie, Resident Evil Degeneration. Oh, yeah. Which I think that one turned out a bit better because... You know that had more claustrophobic hallways and a, a much similar, a much simpler premise. But yeah, um. then Resident Evil Four would appear again a few years later on the Nintendo Wii. Yes, which is not so much it's 
It's a pseudo port. Yeah, because the Wii um, is basically GameCube hardware with a few minor modifications. Mm -hmm. So you don't technically have to change any of the code. Um, but the most notable addition to that was, I guess, the, the widescreen mode. Well, no. So the widescreen... The game was always viewed in widescreen, mm -hmm. but on a normal television, it's pillar or not pillar box, it's letterbox. Letterbox. So you have black bars on the top and bottom. On PlayStation 2, they actually added the option to do anamorphic widescreen, mm -hmm. where it fills the image and then you squeeze it down in the widescreen using your television's function, which is exactly how the Wii version works. But the difference there is that the Wii version still seems to run at the same 640 by 360 resolution no matter what. So while it does on the surface appear to support anamorphic widescreen, I don't think it actually, it doesn't actually increase the rendering resolution at all. So it ends up looking really blurry and soft compared to a lot of other Wii games. Yeah. Because typical Wii games would be closer, not exactly, but closer to the 640 by 480 range, and then they would be anamorphically squeezed or stretched, I guess, on a widescreen television. Uh, whereas I think RE4 always retained the lower resolution rendering on that system. And you would just fill the screen with it. So in that sense, the PS2 version can look slightly cleaner, I believe. Sure. But, uh, but the asset quality is but the asset quality much is, higher. Is much higher on GameCube and Wii. Yeah. But it, the main feature, obviously, was the, the controls. The controls. Yeah, they added the Wii Remote Aiming, which for a lot of people is actually still the best way to play it. Um, I mean, it, may, it does make the game a lot easier. Yes. Uh, a lot of the challenge involved in being a skilled uh, shooter... Or a skilled sniper is taken away in the Wii version, which is, you know, it, unless they retool the game, it's kind of inevitable. But in, in my opinion, less so like the aiming itself. It's just the sensation where for the first time you can kind of feel more immersed in the game. Yeah, it felt great at the time. Yeah. My only complaint with that mode was that they put a large on screen reticle to represent where you were pointing with the Wii mode. Yeah. Rather than, so the laser sight, like aesthetically, the laser sight looks awesome in Resident Evil 4. Mm. And when you replace it with that giant cursor, it's not quite as visually appealing, but it still plays great. Right. I think you could still use a GameCube controller with it too, though, as an option. You can. Yeah, which GameCube is nice. controller or Pro controller. So whichever, whichever preference you have, you can just roll with it. Yeah. yeah. So... What was it then? After the Wii version, it would be, was it 2011 again, where Resident Evil 4 reappeared? Yeah, that would be on PS3 and 360 on the same day as Code Veronica HD. That's right. Code Veronica XHD. And they released those together on a retail disc in Japan. Yeah, called the Biohazard Revival Selection. Yeah, it's a H nice version. HD Remaster Edition. Excellent. <laughs> Some kind of really convoluted name, but... Basically, it was four and Code Veronica in one package. Four, mm -hmm. as we mentioned earlier, was in some ways less ambitious than sure. Code Veronica, but it arguably needed less work to begin with. Right. And this was the port where they brought back the original GameCube quality visuals, all the real-time cutscenes. It was not based on the PS, PS2 version of the game. This was an actual GameCube port. Right. But some people, I, th I recall, were disappointed in it because it was only... I think there was like this general feeling that oh it should have been more why mm. isn't the 60 frames per second for instance right like right Which yeah we would later find out why maybe there was some issues with getting to 60 yeah anyways but 
I think it's a good port for the time. It's uh, and at the time for me, I think it was the best way to play Resident Evil Four. It was it retained what was great about the GameCube version, but with a higher resolution, better image quality, it got rid of the sixteen bit color dithering right. that plagues the GameCube version. Right. And yeah, it's missing some of the effects from the GameCube version, right? Um, it's not so much that they're missing as that the, there's there's a few things that are slightly different. But it's, mm. in general, it's very close. Like the fire effects, for example. Yeah, the fi- well, the fire effects on were something truly outstanding in the original form. And they still look good in that version of the game. Yeah. So, overall, I think it's the best at that time. Mm. But it could there, there are some arguments to make that the GameCube version still had an edge in some small areas. I remember being a little disappointed that the PS3 port did not support the move. Oh PS3 yeah, that would have been great because the they even controller. released a, a move support for Resident Evil Five, right? Which had come out the year before and had done well enough, apparently. Yeah. So, um, yeah, those ports were followed up with ports of the Umbrella Chronicles and mm-hmm. the Dark Side Chronicles for PS3. Yep. Um, I don't know if you ever played those versions. I have them, yeah. Yeah. And they do support obviously the move. The move, right? They also support the regular pad. Funny enough. <laughs> uh, and I think. Those 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 versions were good. Um, they were high res. Uh, Capcom luckily retained the assets of the original games, so they weren't very hard to reproduce in the quality that's we right, expected. That's right. The cutscenes, I mean, they're kind of anime-like in a lot of ways. Right, but, right, right. Um, I think they look cool. They do. Yeah. I think one port we missed, though, this could, if we rewind a second, there is mm. uh, Resident Evil. Um, DS. Oh, Deadly Silence. That's right. We forgot yeah. about this. <laughs> well, yeah, Resident Evil Deadly Silence might... I guess, yeah, Resident Evil Deadly Silence came out for the DS in January 2006. It was meant to celebrate the series' 10th anniversary. And there's a lot of interesting background behind that port because in the late 90s, Capcom had sought to remake or demake the original Resident Evil on Game Boy Color. Yep. Uh, in a very similar way, not very similar to RE2 on Gamecom, but same idea. You take it and you put it, you make it into a handheld experience. Uh, that game had gotten close to completion, mm-hmm. but due to quality control concerns, uh, that port was canceled, replaced with Resident Evil Gaiden, uh, mm-hmm. for better or worse. There is a prototype version of the Game Boy Color version yeah. out there around on the internet yeah which it's interesting to play i mean i can see why they would have canceled it but it's still mm. it's a fascinating concept and it almost works yeah you can you can play through it and you know considering the the gap between the game boy color and the playstation yeah. was it game boy color only or was it also i think it was targeting game boy color specifically right so it wouldn't have worked on the black and white right yeah but Soon after, with the exception of a port in 2005 for Samsung phones in South Korea only, Resident Evil DS was finally the game that brought the original to handheld, and it's intact for the most part. They had to recreate the game because you, they had to like they took like the original backgrounds, but they redid the character models, yep. uh, and it's content complete. It ha- it employs compression much like uh, Resident Evil 2 on N64, but 
the technology had progressed a lot since then. And yeah, honestly, the DS game looks really nice on an original DS screen, especially the the DSi XL. Yeah. Like it's it's the native resolution of yeah. the screen. Uh, it just feels really crisp and nice and right. it's an impressive release actually. Yeah, it's it's notable because it's the first version of RE1 where you can skip cutscenes. So and door opening sequences, I believe. And door opening sequences. You can skip those on PC. Oh, that's that, right. That's yeah. been a thing for a yeah, long yeah. time, but this was the first time on a non-PC release where you can actually do that. And it, it makes for really fun romps where you can just, yeah. like, if you have nothing better to do for the next half hour. It makes play. the game much faster to play through. Right. You can. It, it took a few cues from RE4 that you can brandish the knife. Yes, by holding the L. By holding the L uh, button. Yep. There, there was a rebirth mode. Uh, it's not rebirth like the GameCube game, but they it took the scenario, rearranged it, added new items, like an extra boss fight. These bizarre first-person sequences where you would use the DS's touchscreen touch and you would hack away at like a bunch of enemies approaching you. That's um, maybe not the best part. <laughs> which is ironic because th there were concepts for the original RE uh, before it came out that had the game in first-person. Obviously, it wasn't feasible for the time, but... To have a first-person RE on the DS, even in, if it was just temporary, was a pretty interesting way for things to come full circle, especially for the 10th anniversary. Right, um, absolutely. I remember like hearing from one of the developers that they didn't have like the, the game's files written out, like backed up digitally. So apparently someone had to go back through those, you know, those dot matrix paper rolls where the files were written and had yeah. to transcribe that all manually again for the DS release. Wow. So, yeah, that I, I guess the DS version in some ways is also a remake of its own. Yeah, uh, that's true. And it's it's the version of RE1 I enjoy playing the most. Sure. Uh, I mean, I would have I would have liked for the PSP version uh, on on PlayStation Archives or PlayStation Classics to have been as good, but you can't skip cutscenes in that version. So, yeah, because it's just the PlayStation version. Yeah. Its limitations. I think it's too bad that didn't a Deadly Silence didn't sell well enough for them to follow up with RE2 or RE3. That but, would have been awesome. Yeah. But, you know, the PSP is a good way to play them portably, or on the Vita, for that yeah, matter. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I think there were also ports of Resident Evil Zero and Resident Evil Remake on Wii, but as we mentioned earlier... You don't really think of GameCube to Wii sure. ports as ports. And then they would show up again years later on modern platforms. Yeah. Like PS4 and Xbox One. Yeah. Uh, remastering, though, is... It's it's a form of porting. Right. But it's it's not in the sense we've been discussing it, right? Exactly. Remasters take place on much more advanced hardware. So we've seen, a, we've seen quite a few of them in recent years. Mm-hmm. The most ambitious ones being for the original remake and for Resident Evil Zero, but also for 4, 5, and 6 where they're yeah. now 60 frames per second, mm -hmm. 1080p. Exactly. Mm. Uh, did we miss any uh, ports in the well, discussion? I feel like that's covered most of the mainline uh, yeah. Resident Evil games there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean... It's quite an in-depth discussion on ports, right? Yeah, I wish I had more to say about those PC versions because those mm. are the ones I've sampled the least. Right. But, you know, I mean, I know they supported some 3D accelerators at the time and that was kind of a big deal. Right. But they were ultimately 
fairly similar, I believe, to what we saw on Dreamcast and GameCube, which we discussed. Um, but yeah, I think that covers pretty much most of the ports. Yeah. It's a bit of a rambly discussion, but that was, that was, that was interesting. Yeah, I enjoyed it very much. What's your favorite port? Oh. <laughs> if you have one that we've discussed today. Of all those ports, um, let's see here. I do, I am very fond of what they did with Code Veronica on PS3 and 360. Cool. In the sense that I feel like it's the one that enhances the original content the most. Like the extra lighting and shadows really contributes a lot to the presentation. And it's the one version where I look at that and I say, well, I'd rather play this every time over the original Dreamcast or PlayStation 2 or GameCube releases. Mm. And then, you know, maybe something like um, seeing it again, uh, the the DS version of Resident yeah. 1, that's really slick. It's a really good version of the game. Right. And it's a nice way to replay it. So right. my, my favorite might have to be Resident Evil 2 on N64. Oh, uh, yes. In terms of pure fascination. Fascination, playability, it's quite playable. It's a good version. Uh, Absolutely. And I think other than that, um, RE4 on PS2, not necessarily for me to play through, but just, you know, the, the impact that port had. Yeah, if we're t you're right. If we're talking about it from that perspective, then mm. I would say something like Resident Evil 2. Because mm. it's not necessarily the way I'd prefer to play the game, mm. but it is the most, perhaps the most impressive mm. uh, port in terms of looking at what the hardware is capable of versus what the port actually is. Yeah. It's, a, it's in a surprisingly impressive version of the game. Yeah. A few months ago in Japan, uh, Resident Evil 7 came out for Nintendo Switch. Oh, yeah. And that is a cloud streaming game. You're essentially playing the PC version through a Wii U. On a <laughs> Wii U. Sorry, not Wii U. You're playing the PC game on a Switch. They, they've incorporated like Joy-Con controls right. and whatnot. So it... But you don't own the game, you own a ticket to access the servers, which are located in Taiwan, yeah, I think. Yeah, and you're basically viewing a video, a live video of the game being played. Right. And you control that video, you know, which we've seen before. Right. I feel like that's, that's a little bit like the lazy way out. Japanese internet connections are definitely good enough to oh, make sure. that it's just like, a know. viable experience if you don't happen to own one of the consoles that it originally came out on. But it just makes you wonder if... Capcom's days of ambitious ports are behind them. Yeah, right? when you see other companies doing things like that port of Doom and Wolfenstein 2 right. on the Switch, and I think the less ambitious Resident Evil 7, and then they just go for the streaming solution instead. Right, right. It feels, it's disappointing. Like back in the day after RE4 Wii sold really well, people were hoping that maybe they'd put RE5 on it, even if you had to make a lot of concessions hey they put dead rising on there yes which it's is a different game but... honestly one of the more puzzling decisions because dead rising is inherently not suited for the wii exactly <laughs> in every way possible but yeah and i, I don't know I'm, unless they really try putting re7 or re2 remake on switch natively you know i think unless they do other remasters it's, you know, I think it's kind of, you know, it's, it's to be expected, but it's kind of sad that we probably won't see very many ambitious ports from yeah. out of Capcom anytime soon. Yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I think what they do do these days, like Okami and like the HD remasters are really quite well done. Yeah, so. absolutely. They, they've released a lot of great ports as of late. So I think they've reached a point where 
Uh, they're not they don't need to be as ambitious in general, and that the results are still good enough. And finally, the last part we should probably talk about today is this wonderful port, Resident Evil Revelations 2 on Vita. Yes, this is one of those uh, classically bad conversions. Now, I think this released quite a bit after the original version. Uh, maybe six months after. Yeah, it was something like that. And it, um, So this was an MT Framework game at this point. Uh, like, I mean, I guess the original Revelations was also MT Framework Mobile. That was eventually ported over to PS3, 360, and Wii U. Revelations 2, however, was a PlayStation 4 and Xbox One game, primarily. Uh, it was actually... PS3. Oh, it was cross-gen, wasn't it? Cross-gen, yeah. They, it was originally PS3 only, they, then they did it on... That's right. They added 360 PC, Xbox One, and... There was a lot of versions of that PlayStation 4. That launch. Yeah, it was probably Just unprecedented. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. No 3DS, no Wii U, but they did come out with a Vita version, which... It turns out it wasn't really Capcom's idea. It was commissioned by Sony and developed at... I can't remember the name of the studio exactly, but it was based in Canada. Mm -hmm. Have you played through that port? I haven't played through it, but I've mm. sampled it. And it's exceedingly poor. Yeah, it, it looks worse than the first game on 3DS. Which That's is what's a little puzzling to me. Kind of remarkable. I mean, the original 3DS game was specifically designed for that hardware by a de development team within Capcom. I mean, the whole game was built for the 3DS, where this was ported down. But I always felt that this game, in general, never looked great. I mean, mm. Revelations 2 is kind of a step down compared to like Resident Evil 5 or 6 right. visually, but it was also a lower budget production, as I understand it. Sure. It gets the job done, but, but it's it works. not particularly remarkable. But right. The Vita version takes that to a whole nother level, and there's like a lot of slowdown. And it's missing so much detail. It runs in an obscenely low resolution. The frame rate is really low. Really bad. The audio is probably even worse than the N64 yeah. version of RE2. And it just looks like the textures never fully load. Like <laughs> as if they're always trying to stream in, but it never actually gets there. Yeah, it's kind of remarkable how... Of all the games Sony could have chosen to get ported, they chose Revelations 2. And I felt like maybe that would have been the time to do RE4 on Vita. Right. I think that would have been huge. And wasn't, wasn't Revelations on, on 3DS, didn't that originally start out more as a PSP title in some ways? Uh, there, there's a lot of uh, speculation that the Resident Evil Portable that got announced for PSP at E3 2009 eventually rematerialized. Yeah, I guess we don't know for sure what happened Resident there. Resident but... Revelations. I have a hunch that's what happened. Right. Because you know, when there's smoke, there's fire. Exactly. Right? So I think it's a good assumption to make. So in that sense, though, you know, I could see why it feels right to have that game well, related in that series on the Sony platform in the end on the Portable. Since the PSP obviously did not receive mm. a Revelations game. Yeah. It's like, all right, Vita's here, but clearly the Vita can't run it. And even the Switch version, which is so much better, right. uh, still isn't nearly as good as it could have been. Like, the frame rate is a bit sluggish for that console. Yeah, I imagine it's just an optimization yeah, issue. Yeah, the, the game is clearly not as optimized as it could be. Hmm. All right, great. Well, thank you so much for the amazing discussion today, John. It was an honor to be opening this new podcast with you of all guests on board. Can you tell people where they can find you? Sure. You can find us over on Eurogamer.net under Digital Foundry at YouTube.com slash Digital Foundry. And you can find me on Twitter at Dark1X. 
Fantastic. And we put out a lot of content, so. Yeah, you all should check it out. It's very informative. I'm very technically challenged, but John just makes it so much easier to understand. Thank and you very much. Love your work. You all should check it out if you don't, if you haven't already. All right, well, we'll take a quick break and we'll resume the podcast right after. back from our break well actually it was a month-long break because now it's early October and the previous segment was recorded back at the end of Gamescom during August sorry for being late uh, I wanted to take the opportunity again to thank John Linneman from Digital Foundry for his insight on the various ports of Resident Evil that we've seen over the years I also wanted to apologize for some of the audio and pacing issues we had with the last segment uh, this is actually my first time doing my own podcast, and it's been quite a challenge, uh, especially technologically, but I hope I can get more used to doing it and do a lot better in the future. Uh, let me know what your feedback is so I can help make future episodes better. Before I go, I also wanted to mention that the theme that played at the beginning of this podcast was actually composed by ex-Capcom composer Akari Kaida, she worked on a small number of tracks for the original Resident Evil, uh, particularly the room with the falling ceiling. I actually work with Kaida-san on stuff related to my game music label, Brave Wave, so it was great she could work on something Resident Evil-esque for me. Finally, a few weeks ago, I worked with my fellow RE fan, Carcinogen SDA, on a stream of Resident Evil 3 Nemesis with, with its director, Kazuhiro Aoyama. So we're currently running a campaign so you can win one of the two signed copies of the PS1 versions of the game, uh, one from the US and one from Japan. So if you haven't seen the campaign information yet, I'll post a link in the comments section of this episode's podcast page. Uh, it's actually a fantastic uh, stream. Uh, it is pretty long. It's about th about four hours long, but... Carsey does play through the game, and Aoyama-san does provide a lot of insight as to his experiences developing the game uh, in 1999. So definitely check that out. You can also find information on the campaign through my uh, Twitter page. So my Twitter is at CVXFreak, C-V-X-F-R-E-A-K. I also have a website, CVXFreak.com, and a YouTube page. Uh, my username is CBXFreak, and I hope to have more content, especially podcasts, in the near future. So please keep checking back for more. And that's it for this episode. Until next time, everyone, thank you for listening. Yeah.